Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. social sleuths welcome back to another episode of real-time crime i'm one of your hosts leah lamar and i have with me my wonderful co-host teddy mellencamp and of course we've got sometimes dimitri who you know and love sometimes today we'll be discussing ooh, a mother quarantining her covid positive son in the trunk of her car lol the continued investigation regarding the accidental murder on set of Alec Baldwin's Rust, Ahmed Arbery, and rounding it out with the death of Robert Durst before we head over to an interview with Joe Berlinger, the director of Crime Scene, The Times Square Killer, which is trending on Netflix right now. I told you all to watch it. I hope you did your homework. And hopefully we can get to a voicemail or two before we close out for today. But first, Teddy, any updates on finding your missing cell phone? Nothing, you guys. Nothing. <laughs> Not one crumb, none of you. And you know what? I'm disappointed. I feel like a lot of you listeners may live in Aspen and may have seen it. And no, But I will tell you one thing that did happen. I opened a drawer mm-hmm. and I saw a piece of the purse. I saw and I was like, ah! but really, it was just the piece when you decide to not wear it as a fanny pack, when you decide to carry it like this, that it, that's all it was. And that but, just yeah. made you more sad. Yeah. And it just made me more sad that I'm still without and I've now had to learn. Look how big this phone is, though. It's now bigger than my person. Yeah, it's bigger than my head. But I'm how's your voice? Um, I don't know. <laughs> She's emotional about about you not finding your fanny pack. Yeah, I'm so uh, sad about the missing fanny pack. But yeah, that that's what's been happening. Nothing's been found. But I do at least have a regular phone. I had to settle on 
light blue, which isn't ideal for a 40 year old mother, but <laughs> sometimes you take what you can get. Can I just, I mean, can I just say one thing real quick? I feel badly. Leah's face lit up when you said I opened a drawer and found a, pe a piece of the fanny pack. <laughs> she literally thought like someone <laughs> sent you a part of it, like a ransom thing. And then you were like, but it's just an extra part. And she was like, Ugh. we, <laughs> we were going to have a real crime <laughs> on our hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just the idea of someone taunting Teddy with like a Louis Vuitton sliver <laughs> is someone did taunt me with that. I was like, also, who does pieces? Like, then I had to look it up on Revolve and see why there was a missing piece. And I was like, oh, I never took that piece to Aspen. It's just devastating. Really, it is. But and to all of our listeners who are dying for us to move on, I say, hey, we got some <laughs> crime to talk about here today. Real crime. I say you haven't been without a phone for seven days in a year. I would lose my mind. I mean, my mind is already, let's be fair. On, let's but... be fair are you having a coffee right now sometimes yeah sometimes uh, what are you drinking sure no it is a, it's a coffee <laughs> it's a this it's is... a it's a vodka tonic <laughs> I, I i have to be honest i'm having a glass of wine because i just came from my other podcast and we were raging oh boy that's not a slap in the face i'm huh? sorry yeah, yeah first of all how dare you <laughs> I, I i can't help it sometimes this is what happens you know what I'll just say I appreciate you calling it the other podcast because yeah, we'll the pretend other. this is your main podcast. <laughs> I, I mean, feel like we're the you're we're your yeah. main squeeze. Here, right? we're you you like... are the main. I mean, it, it's hard to describe the level of <laughs> me. I am. It's either I'm talking true crime or I'm talking crap about housewives. It's it's really hard. Which to... is another crime in and of itself, just a different type. <laughs> yeah. Speaking mm -hmm. of a different type of crime, shall we head into our hot topics for today? We should. We should. I mean, let's just start it off with a Texas mother who's charged after her 14-year-old son is found in the trunk of her car at a drive through COVID testing site. She claims that he tested positive and needed to be quarantined. So she's being faced with endangerment charges. And, oh boy, Sarah Beam, 42, from the Cypress Fairbanks area near Houston. I mean... It's Texas. What do you want us to say about it? Allegedly packed the teen in the trunk as she drove to the testing site after he tested positive for the virus on January 3rd to get another test. They issued a warrant for her arrest on Friday. And please say being pulled to the giant pulled up to the giant tent setup and the health services director at the site heard a noise in her trunk. <laughs> Sorry. This is but I swear, I'm like, am I reading an article from The Onion? <laughs> But are we are we missing the same? She brought him to get retested. It's not like she knew they were going to have to like test him. He's in the trunk. She didn't see anything wrong with this. Well, yeah, it's because she, she didn't like, want to get herself. She didn't want to get COVID. <laughs> yeah, she said that she was protecting herself from the virus. Well, the I can tell you guys for. this from personal experience. So yesterday. How's your cough, Leah? I muted so people wouldn't have to hear it. I Teddy. saw it though. <laughs> um, yesterday, I get a call. I take the kids to the bus. They had to get COVID tested at 9 a.m. Um, the day before. I get a call at 9:30 on Monday. Hey, um, Teddy, uh, Mrs. Zariave, Cruz is in the nurse's office. He had a headache for a minute. You have to come get him. And I was like, <sighs> <laughs> he had a headache for a minute. And did we lock him in the trunk of the car? And I, honestly, I almost <laughs> did. I go, um, does he feel sick? Does he have a 
temperature and they're like, he's logged as an illness. So he cannot be at school until he gets a negative COVID test. He gets in the car. I'm, I'm honestly like pedals to the metal. I'm like, Cruz, unless you are sick, do not go to the nurse's office again. He's like, mom, I really just wanted more water. <laughs> I don't really know what you want me to say, but I feel the moment of, of locking your kids in the trunk for that. Yeah, this was, um, wait, you feel the moment. <laughs> I feel it. Meaning I, you're okay with this woman locking her kid in the trunk? Well, Teddy I mean, was I, two seconds away from hiring an Uber to pick him up. <laughs> I was two seconds away from locking Cruz in the trunk for going to the nurse's office for a second of a headache to that he didn't have. That Then he, the second he got in the car, goes, can I go still go to football? No. You just threatened to have COVID at school, and now I have to pay $250 to get a COVID test for you to go back tomorrow. Why don't they have COVID tests at school? They do, but they don't have the rapids, so you can go the next day. Why didn't Cruz have water? <sighs> he did have That's water. Cool. He just asked his teacher for more water because he had run out. And then he said, I'm getting a headache from not having water. And then that's considered an illness. So he's dehydrated. Yeah. Is mm -hmm. he turning into a white woman in L.A.? <laughs> Pretty much. So, you know what? The next time he does that, he may end up in my trunk. Hilarious. This is, I gotta be honest, this is not where I saw the story first. going. <laughs> Real time crime. I was like, okay, we're gonna start off with the drive through uh, the woman that, that locked her son in the room. We're all gonna think that's ridiculous. And then we'll move on to the next story. But okay, I, fine. I, I, I wouldn't really put him in the trunk unless it, it was an SUV. Oh, I thought you said, okay. SUV, S then it's like, it goes up. <laughs> oh my God, you guys are so sensitive today. Listen. Oh, not like you, the people on you your came other in here. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you you came in here hot being like, look at me. I just came here from my other podcast and I dressed up for them. I don't dress up for you guys. And also, do you like my new setup? And now we feel absolutely. <laughs> do you like my new setup? Yeah, we feel gaslit. We're like, it's the, the same setup. Listen. You thought I was in the same setup. Don't you see the basketball hoop? No. Okay. I, I do know that you're, I'm sure you're a wonderful mother, but what you're doing is you're sitting here drinking wine and you're like, oh, my kid needed water. Screw him. Him in the throwing him in the trunk of the car. <laughs> oh, I guess I can't make jokes today. Fine. No, you I'll can just make take jokes. him to make get another COVID test. Should we get into Alec Baldwin? Speaking of good parenting, <laughs> there she, she does is. it again. Hot on the segue. All right, we're ready for it. Following reports that actor Alec Baldwin's cell phone had not yet been turned over to officials investigating the fatal shooting on the Rust film set weeks after a search warrant was granted, Alec said on Saturday that any suggestion that he was not complying with law enforcement was, in fact, a lie. The police in Santa Fe, New Mexico, obtained a search warrant more than three weeks ago, granting it access to information on Mr. Baldwin's phone related to the October shooting, during which a gun that Alec was rehearsing with fired a live round, killing the movie cinematographer and wounding its director. Filming himself from the driver's seat of a parked car, Alec said that the process for recovering information from his phone takes time and involved the authorities in New Mexico coordinating with the authorities where he lives, a.k.a. New York. Someone from another state can't come to you and say, give me your cell phone, Alex said in the video, adding that they have to specify exactly what they want. They can't just go through your phone and take, you know, your photos or your love letters to your wife or what have you. According to an affidavit filed in the application for the search warrant granted by a judge in New Mexico on December 16th, Detective Alexandra Hancock asked Mr. Baldwin and his lawyer on the day of the fatal shooting to hand over his phone, but was told to obtain a warrant. 
When the search warrant for Mr. Baldwin's phone was granted, officials in Santa Fe requested help from the sheriff's office in Suffolk County in New York, where Mr. Baldwin was and has a home. Apparently, they said that the request, the request had been forwarded to the county's district attorney's office to work out the differences in laws between the two states. Okay, so why do you guys think that this investigation is slower than usual? Do you think Alex, Alec is... <laughs> I okay. think the part of the problem is Hilaria. You mean Hillary. Well... <laughs> All I know is that Hilaria Baldwin's Instagram is something that I go deep down. I can't turn it off. Like I, I need to understand so many dynamics in regards to her. Like I I'm watching it. I'm like, are we really going to believe that she has 742 kids with zero help? She's constantly breastfeeding. There's no, there's all of it. And then I read and something that said, is Alec Baldwin struggling because of his wife, Hilaria? And and now I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I feel like this case is just, I think it, I actually don't feel like it's moving slower than, than normal. I think most cases take a while. I think we're just looking into it and waiting for some like juicy headlines or something. And they're just not there. You think this was just an accident? I mean, it's possible, but either way, this little stuff that's coming out like, oh, He's he's not complying with the cell phone. And to me, that's just. I think creepy. that's the media trying to spin a narrative. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> I think that there's just no story, and they're trying to make a story out of it. Mm-hmm. But you know, it seems like a, a t- terrible tragedy and horrible accident, and maybe no one. I I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to figure out who sh- if someone should go to jail for this. Um, I mean, there was a live round in the gun and there should never be a live round. So someone is responsible for that. And I don't know what the judicial system will say, but I I don't I don't know. I I don't know what they're trying to figure out with Alex's phone. I, I mean, I think they're trying to see how much he knew, but either way. I just don't see that he's at fault. I just, in my mind, I just don't think he had all the information. From what I have heard in regards to Alec Baldwin, I don't think he's the type of person that you want to give all of the information to. I don't think he's that easygoing type that you're like, I'm just going to vent to you or tell you what's going on. I think he's more that you you shield if things are going wrong. I hope that people speak about me like this one day. Is was the way I was speaking a positive? <laughs> yeah, I want to be left out of all information. You know, I just I feel like ignorance is bliss. <laughs> um, but guess who's in the waiting room? I'm so excited. Shall we do a little intro and then bring him in? Or yeah, that's all you. I'm I'm just. A... Why, don't guys... a, why don't we take a quick break and re- regroup and then we'll bring him in. Thanks, okay. Dimitri, for knowing what we need. Sometimes. Thank you, Sammy. It's my name. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. And welcome back to Real Time Crime. We have with us my friend, Joe Berlinger, who is the director of Crime Scene, The Times Square Killer, which is trending on Netflix. If you don't know Joe... He is a filmmaker and producer, particularly focused on true crime documentaries. Joe's films and docuseries draw massive attention to social justice issues in the United States and abroad in such films as Brothers Keeper, Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills, Crude, White United States of America vs. James J. Bulger, and Intent to Destroy Death, Denial, and Depiction. He's also best known for the film series Paradise Lost, which documents the murder, trial, and the subsequent legal battles of the three Arkansas teenagers, Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., convicted of murder. The film series brought mainstream attention to this case, and a ton of celebrities took up the case of getting these young men out of prison and getting Eccles off of death row. The mainstream attention brought on by the documentary series allowed for a well-financed legal team to investigate every lead on the case. He's also spearheaded and directed two 2019 projects centered on the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy, the Netflix docuseries Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, and the drama film Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, starring Zac Efron. And then finally, in collaboration with journalist Greg Milner, 
Joe wrote the book Metallica, The Monster Lives, about his early career, accomplishments, and challenges forging his path in the world of film. This book is centered around the filming of Metallica, some kind of monster. And Joe is a dear friend of mine from back in my days in New York, and I'm very, very honored and excited to have him here. And hello, Joe. Leah, how are you? Joe, I'm oh. great. How are you? We're so excited oh, you're camera's, here. My camera's not on. There we go. Joe! So, how are you? We're so fabulous. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Great to see you. Joe and I have known each other for, I don't want to say, but almost a decade now. More than that, perhaps. Oh, Joe, I'm trying to pretend I'm 20. How did you guys meet? <laughs> that's about how, that's how about old you, you seem when I first met you. Oh my God. In a good um, way. A thank good you way. so much. A- it was only a couple years off. We met at Radical Media many moons ago in New York City. And I can't even remember at that time which project you were working on because so many more have come out since then. I but think around, I think it was around actually Paradise Lost. It might have been. I was working and I, think- I mean, that's probably one of the most iconic projects to ever come out. Uh, I guess I have to agree with you now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you I, did get someone off of death row. I do think Paradise Lost does, you know, is 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 up there in the annals of true crime. Um, but I'll let you say that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yes, perfect. And when you were not here, I already gave you a beautiful introduction listing, all of your credits and all that you've really contributed to to society. And we know that, you know, you were a true crime aficionado, but your career also spans more than just true crime. And we'll get into that a little bit. But we are here today to talk about your new documentary that's trending on Netflix, Crime Scene, The Times Square Killer. I watched every episode obsessively. I already posted about it on Instagram, told everyone to watch it. I absolutely loved it. It's a three-part limited series on Netflix right now, by the way, for all of you that haven't watched it. Do your homework before listening and then come back to this episode, just in case you don't want any, you know, spoilers. But this documentary examines the notorious case of Richard Cottingham, also known as the Torso Killer, who claimed to have raped, slaughtered, and mutilated more than 100 women between 1967 and 1980. So, um, I know that we all watched it, we all loved it, we all binged it. Joe, fabulous work, yet again, as always. Can I say, I know I know this is what you do as a director, but I really enjoyed, you took me back to that time. It's one thing, sometimes you're just watching something, you're like, okay, I'm trying to piece together. But knowing Times Square the way Times Square is now is not that. So yeah. you really brought me back. I'm going to stop short of saying I felt like a sex worker in Times Square, but I felt like I was in that time. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic. And I thought glad, it really. I appreciate that. I'm glad I'm glad you felt that way because that was really an important, you know, mission. And, you know, first of all, the series is about how a location. It's not just the story of Cottingham. Uh, it's the story. The whole series is rooted in how does a location and a, and a particular time period and societal values contribute to a crime. So season one, we did Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, talked about the homelessness problem and all sorts of L.A. policies that drove uh, people to create this skid row in L.A., which contributed to the perception of crime at the Cecil. And this 
And for this season, actually the Times Square in the 70s, I remember I was a teenager. My first love before uh, before movies was actually magic, doing magic tricks. And there was a, mag- a very famous magic store in Times Square called Lou Tannins, which is still a very famous magic store, but they moved to the, uh, they moved more downtown, but they were in the heart of Times Square at the time I was, you know, a teenager. And it's like a totally different world on so many levels. The fact that my parents would allow me to take the train from the suburbs, which I did, and you get off at Grand Central, you walk, you know, four or five blocks from Grand Central to Times Square as a teenager. You know, I just remember vividly just, you know, walking, you know, looking in, in, the windows of Times Square of the sex joints, you know, as a 14 or 15 year old looking at things you're not supposed to look at and being simultaneously, you know, titillated, I will admit, and also like scared to death with my wallet in my front pocket. And like, you know, you were taking your life into your hands, uh, you know, when you went into Times Square. And in fact, this the whole idea to do the series is I took my daughter cut to 2019 and I took my 20-year-old daughter to uh, Hamilton over the holidays in December of 2019 before we knew of COVID. What a different time, <laughs> you know, not, not too long ago, but seems like, you know, a long time ago. And we, you know, we went to a matinee of Hamilton and then kind of came out at, you know, dinner time, Times Square, the lights, the action, the, you know, Disney logos. And I said to my daughter, I could just see in my daughter's face how excited she was to be in Times Square during the holidays And I said, you know, when I was, you know, your age and I went into Times Square, you would be taking your life into your hands. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, because we had been talking with Netflix about what's a good idea for season two. I'm like, yes, Times Square in the 70s would be would be great because, you know, not for gratuitous reasons. It's, It's just a particular time and place that all of these forces came together to create this horrible legacy of predatory behavior that, you know, went unnoticed and and people just didn't care you know and that is an issue still today that sex workers are neglected crimes against sex workers are treated differently than than crimes against other people and you know that's that's a problem everyone deserves justice and whether it's sam little who i did a series about a year and a half ago who killed with impunity because he for 40 years because he preyed upon uh women of color who were sex workers um or Richard Cottingham, it's, you know, it's just, it just, nobody seemed to care. Now, so I, now I know why I connected with this, because I grew up taking the train into New York from arriving at Grand Central, and I had the same type of thing, the memories of Times Square like that. Do you, I just was curious, do you feel like they thought, I know it's also, there's some just kinkiness to it, there's some sadistic stuff. Do you think people thought if I kill, because I know the L.A. Strangler and all that, that was sex workers as well. Was it just I can get away with this because nobody gives a shit? I think that's, you know, Cottingham started off, you know, we later learned Cottingham started off not killing sex workers, but uh, younger teenage girls and a cup and a nurse who was not a teenage girl. You know, his early killings were in and around his hometown in New Jersey across the river and and those prompted investigations and things started heating up. And I think it was, uh, it was a big part of the reason that he then shifted his attention to Times Square. You know, he worked at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, which was on Third Avenue and not too far from Times Square. And he just realized that he could get away with this, you know, and, and, you know, honestly, particularly in Los Angeles, you know, police were famous in this time period. If, if, if a sex worker was found, in a dumpster or in a back alley murdered, 
they would literally classify it as as no human involved. You know, wow. that was the phrase they used because it wasn't what that meant was that we're not going to put our resources into this murder uh, because it's a sex worker and who cares. So um, it was a troubling trend, and you know, it's gotten better, but it's you know, there's still such a stigma against sex work in general and a stigma against murders of sex workers. You know, it's so interesting, by the way, that Times Square is a character in the documentary. And I remember growing up in New York and it was a Broadway playground when I was a kid. But when I was a kid going south of St. Mark's was terrifying. Mm. And I remember you could buy a fake ID on the street for 20 bucks and you would see people shooting up on the street, just crusties or whatever people would call them in the park nearby shooting up. Now it's not like that either. And then by the time I was working at Radical, you know, St. Mark's had kind of become a playground. And then the gentrification moved down and I would go to Bushwick and I would feel the same way where I would feel, oh, God, it's so dangerous here. And it's interesting to see how all of these areas keep getting gentrified as the city, I would say, grows up. Yeah. Well, it's well, Manhattan has become a place for mainly the wealthy and, and, you know, People who aren't, don't have means have been pushed out of Manhattan. I mean, that's not completely, you know, there are obviously middle class people in Manhattan, but generally it, it's become an island of the wealthy, you know, the international wealthy. Also true. So, and and the crime gets put, pushed, pushed to the outer boroughs. The, the question I had when I was watching it and watching Cottingham, how do you think that somebody like him is able to maintain a regular household? and be married and have a family and live this completely other life. Like, how are you able to, to live both ways? Like, how can you trick your wife? How can you trick your friends? How can you trick your employee? Like the people that you work with? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, you hit the nail on the head. That's, that's the question I'm obsessed with, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's un, whenever I do a serial killer show, some people, Say, why are you giving him a platform? Why are you give you know, there's, there is some pushback uh, t- today on doing shows like this. But the reason I keep returning to this subject is it just, first of all, as a, as a cautionary tale to people that these people exist, but more importantly, you know, we, 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 uh, we want to think that people who do evil uh, mm-hmm. are evil all the time, that they're, that, right. that, that, you know, like in, you know, Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, that they just look creepy. And the moment you see them, you know, to protect yourself because they present as evil. But that but the, having done true crime for 30 years and done real cases, you know, generally speaking, whether it's, you know, a pedophilic priest or Bernie Madoff or Richard Cottingham, the people who do evil in this world are generally people that you least expect and most often trust. And that's the disturbing thing. Because they get off on that, right? They get off on it. And also from a, you know, from a just warning people out there, like, you know, just because somebody seems trustworthy, you know, there's a certain threshold you should, you know, not give, give your trust to people, you know, which I know is a, is a down message. But, uh, you know, when I decided to do the Bundy stuff, you know, I did Bundy, both the movie with Zac Efron and uh, the unscripted uh, conversations with the killer on Netflix. And when the opportunity first was presented me to me to do the Bundy tapes, because the author of the book that the tapes were based on 
reached out and said, hey, I have these tapes from 30 years ago. Do you think there's something here? And I thought to myself, well, God, Bundy is such a well-known story. Everybody knows the story of Bundy. But I was sitting around dinner with my two daughters, my college-aged daughters who were home for, for vacation. And I asked them, do you know who Ted Bundy is? And both, both of my daughters are incredibly bright women. At the time, one was going to Columbia. One was just starting at MIT. So, you know, smart kids. And uh, I know that sounds obnoxious coming from a father. I'm sorry. But, uh, no, it's cute. But, um, but neither one of them knew who Ted Bundy was. And I said, really? Well, ask some of your friends. And like the feedback I got from 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds was, we, we don't know who Ted Bundy is or wasn't he a serial killer or whatever. And that encouraged me to like, well, now it's time to retell his story because you can never tell the story of this man enough as a cautionary tale that just because somebody looks and acts trustworthy doesn't mean you should trust them. And that's that's the thing that boggles my mind is, you know, is how people can, you know, be that deceptive and have, you know, Bundy had a girl. I mean, the whole movie was, uh, you know, extremely wicked was through the eyes of Lily Collins, who was the girlfriend. And she believed in Bundy for years because he's, he was such a wonderful father and not a surrogate father to her daughter and a wonderful boyfriend. Uh, and, you know, so how people do these things is incredible. But, you know, you can take that a step further. How do, you know, climate denying oil executives go to bed at night, you know, mm-hmm. you know, perpetrating the system that's killing the planet apparently relatively easily (laughs) (laughs) exactly so like like people's ability to compartmentalize and still think they're good people uh you know is part of human nature but when it comes to doing the things that these particular monsters do and then having a normal home life um is mind-boggling the other reason i wanted to do cottingham is you know obviously many crime aficionados know his name but for the most part most people don't know who Richard Cottingham is. Everyone knows who Bundy is. Everyone knows who Gacy is. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who Dahmer is, um, you know, but Cottingham is not on that list. And yet he, he might've killed over a hundred women in a horrifying way. And why don't we know him? Because he killed sex workers and nobody seems to care right. about sex workers as victims. Well, and I think that's, what's nice about, you know, you, you said that people sometimes say, why are you giving this person a platform? But it's not, what you also do is you you take these victims and you and you explain who they were and you you know you you hear from one of their kids or you and so you actually humanize them and you're not leaving them behind as just somebody that didn't matter to society quote unquote that just got killed and all the focus is on the killer you kind of you know you bring these people to life and you realize these were real people regardless of what they did for a living they did it for certain reasons yeah yeah which is what the life that they had but yeah. It doesn't mean that they should just be, you know, just a, a nameless person in a, in a story. And, yeah. and Joe, just to zoom out for a second, because clearly we're not just going to be talking about crime scene. We've already started covering other cases that you've covered. And we talked about the Cecil Hotel on here. And I'm personally obsessed with the Elisa Sex. Lamb case. <laughs> I still think it's the elevator game. But other than that, I just want to say, you know, Joe, as one of the most brilliant and prolific documentarians of our generation and creating art that actually has purpose and winning many Emmys. You know, your work spans so many cases. You covered the West Memphis Three. You got Damien Eccles 
off of death row, you know, your art has function. And that's, I would say, almost rare these days. And so we are really honored that you are coming here today on Real Time Crime with me and Teddy and Dimitri to talk about all things true crime at this moment. And I just wanted to zoom out a little because your brain is so interesting to me. And I know that you don't just do true crime, but we're just so curious about your interest in filmmaking and how you got started and if this was something you always wanted to do. Interesting. First of all, thank you for all those compliments. Much appreciated. Oh, uh, <laughs> Very kind of you. You know, I have to say a lot of people were involved in getting Damien Eccles out of prison. I mean, the films were definitely a catalyst, but there was a lot of, a lot of great minds at work to uh, make that happen. Um, you know, it's interesting. I came to filmmaking very late. I was always, uh, you know, in college, honestly, I, w I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was a language major and I was particularly became through my studies, not because of any home connection. I, I became fluent in German and I was as a, and I, I mean, the reason I became fluent with German is I was obsessed with the Holocaust, you know, but I, we were not Jewish at home. We had no Jewish traditions at home, really. I mean, we were Jewish, but not observant. I was a, you know, I'm a fifth generation German, uh, but no German was spoken at home. Um, you know, like my great, great, great grandfather came over from Germany long before the Holocaust, but I was exposed in my teens to the Holocaust liberation footage uh, of the camps. And it just, it just, it, you know, it just spoke to me deeply and it, it caused me to want to learn German in high school because I wanted to have a more deeper understanding of that kind of horror and how something like that could happen. And, mm. and was there something particularly wrong with Germans versus is there a larger way to look at this? Which, so by the time I got to college, I ended up majoring in languages and German was my main language that I spoke uh, fluently. Again, out of studies, I, no one spoke German at home. And so I kind of stumbled my way into a job at Ogilvy and Mather, which is a big New York ad agency or international ad agency that had an office in Frankfurt and needed a young American guy who, or gal, but uh, it was me, um, <laughs> who spoke multiple languages. So I found myself, I kind of, you know, bluffed my way into a job as a junior producer in Frankfurt, Germany in the mid eighties. And the first time I was ever on a TV set or film set was a, was a Nescafe commercial being shot in Germany. Uh, and that's when the, you know, just being around production, that's when the light bulb went off. Oh, I think I want to get into this film thing, not this language thing. My only goal in college was to figure out how to go to Europe and be paid to speak languages. I mean, and it resulted in this job with Ogilvy. And then around the same time, Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise was, I saw it in a cinema in Germany. And I, as I was thinking about, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. Um, and that, it just all kind of congealed. And then I was sent back to New York, figuring at, back with Ogilvy, working on advertisements, uh, on American on the American Express account, and I was thinking, how do I get how do I get out of advertising and into film? I know this is a really long answer, uh, you know, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we're, we're loving no, every word. No, we like it. Yeah. It's the origin story, um, and so uh, the irony of becoming a noted documentarian is, you know, I come back to New York, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a junior producer, producer at this time working on American Express campaign. And for this particular campaign, the agency and the client decided they wanted like a more real people documentary style commercial, an unscripted commercial, which was new at the time. Now it's very commonplace. And so the, you know, we had the idea to hire the Maisel brothers, you know, seminal documentarians to shoot this real people American Express commercial. And I kind of hit it off with David Maisels, who's the brother who died short a few years later, but they were looking to be called more to do commercials because, you know, documentaries in those, in those, those days weren't very profitable. And so doing more commercials to supplement their income was a, an idea that they were liked and they thought somebody like me could help them get more commercials. So I joined the Maisel brothers, you know, these seminal documentarians who did give me shelter, gray garden salesman, like classics of the genre. So they hired me to be their executive producer of commercials, which was really just a glorified sales job where I would go to ad agencies and show them their real and say, Hey, use, do real, do more real people commercials. And that's where I got my documentary education. And then, you know, eventually I made a, I decided I wanted to take my, try my hand at a documentary. And my, actually my first documentary was a, was very comedic. Uh, Leah, and you would have enjoyed it in particular. Uh, <laughs> it's called uh, Outrageous Taxi Stories. And I interviewed cabbies to tell the most outrageous <laughs> that ever happened. I would their, die to see that. That ever happened in their cabs. And that got, you know, some attention and went to some film festivals. And then that's where I met Bruce Sanofsky, who was my filmmaking partner for many years because he was an editor at Maisel's. And then he and I were looking for a, a verite doc because, you know, uh, there's there's a, a lot of exceptions to the rule, you know, people like Barbara Koppel and whatnot. But during the 80s, you know, document, you know, like pure cinema verite documentaries as an art was kind of dying out and documentaries were very kind of no no offense i love ken burns but documentaries were very kind of talking head pbsy kind of things and these these great adventures of following a story as they're unfolding was kind of not that popular in the 80s and so bruce and i said let's find a story and do a classic you know verite film and that's how brother's keeper was born and then i was on my way and you know we gambled everything a dozen credit cards second mortgages on homes and gambled at literally everything to get brother's keeper in the can. And luckily it was invited to Sundance and we won a prize and then we had a career. But the irony to me is at that period where I was like, I want to get into film. I don't want to work in advertising. You know, if I, if we had hired Ridley Scott, it wasn't like I had a particular interest in documentaries, but if we had hired Ridley Scott to shoot the American express commercial, and if I had happened to have hit it off with Ridley Scott, or whomever I could have easily have gone in that direction. So there's, there's a, a, a certain amount of, you know, serendipity to my career. But when I look back now, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think this genre, this style of filmmaking, you know, I've done both, but you know, I'll never not be a documentarian because I just, it's been, I can say this now I've been doing it long enough. It's just been like this incredible adventure you know, where you get to drop into people's lives, whether it's a week or a year or three years or whatever, and just you get to witness things you wouldn't normally ever experience. And so really glad it turned out this way, but it's just kind of funny that it was never the intention. It's not like, I, you know, I was 12 and running around with a Super 8 camera and wanting to make films, you know. Do you have like a favorite story or a case that y you loved researching that you still can't get out of your mind? that you still want answers on? 
Um, that's a good question. I would answer it differently because anytime I can promote this idea, I want to is, you know, I did a show about a guy named um, Richard Glossip, who's in on Oklahoma's death row, who is so innocent. And, uh, you know, I did a multi-part series called Killing Richard Glossip. Um, and this guy is not, you know, he's, they literally sent him to the death chamber three times and they halted the execution you know sometimes within minutes of the execution once because uh there was a stay once because they had twice actually because they had the the wrong chemicals you know they literally had the portal in his arm and they were ready to press you know kill uh and they realized they had the wrong chemicals and they stop the execution and then because of all that mishaps with oklahoma executions this and some other incidents where they literally had the wrong ingredients which in a horrifying you know could you imagine being you know on a gurney and rolled in to be killed and you know they stop it right you know like seconds before um what other ingredients yeah. do they have laying around? Yeah, i'm like what are they putting like rosemary and thyme in there like what's happening <laughs> Well, they use a cocktail of three chemicals. One of those chemicals is supposed to be potassium chloride, but instead they use potassium acetate. And that do it all just, the time. That just creates incredible pain and suffering in the person who is being executed. Hmm. They actually killed somebody before Glossip with the wrong chemicals. And then they were about to do it again with Glossop when they suddenly stopped uh, the execution. So not only is this guy innocent, uh, you know, and if you looked into the case details itself, which is so mind boggling that this guy ever could have been put on death row. Uh, he's been sent to the death chamber, not once, but three times. And the third time they almost used the wrong chemicals. I mean, it's just incredible so disturbing fact that that can even happen i think the question is like what's worse than death yeah maybe well, surviving I, I i think worse than death is surviving yeah. and knowing you're the worst human ever in, in, in oklahoma um uh in oklahoma they have a procedure where you know there's two levels of death row there's like the nicer part of death row in quotation marks because it ain't nice um where if your if your execution is still far off, that's your you're in general population. But 35 days before you're executed, they take you to a different level where, and they progressively move you closer and closer to um, to the actual execution chamber. Uh, and lights are on 24/7. Your mattress is like a, a half an inch thick on the floor so Oof. they basically just want to wear you out so that you just accept death so poor richard glossop um you know went through this uh three times and because of the mishap with using wrong, the wrong ingredients uh for uh, the lethal injection oklahoma for several years has had a moratorium on executions but now it's been reinstated executions are starting again in oklahoma and this guy richard glossop is you know, high on the list to be executed. So that story haunts me because I feel like I've done everything I can, uh, both filmically and otherwise, to help promote the case. And here's a guy who's so clearly innocent that, you know, has a good chance of being executed, which happens way too often in this country, which is why we shouldn't have a death penalty. But that's probably a subject for another day. I have to ask one more question. 
I'm obsessed. Why are women obsessed with marrying serial killers on death row? Why are you talking about me like that, Teddy? I, I mean, uh, and Leah. She's trying to tiptoe around it. Like, also a co-host on the podcast. But, like, I, I need to understand. Like, when you talked about Ted Bundy or any of, like, you see so many beautiful women there supporting these men who have. They usually become pen pals with them, right? And then they. Yeah. But why? I don't know. People like to look danger in the eye. It's, uh, I don't have an answer for it. It is, it is a bizarre bizarre phenomenon you know there are you know you should distinguish those between women who believe in the innocence of somebody who's on you know do you think people actually believed that ted bundy was innocent no No, i don't but uh i'm just you know uh no but he was handsome according to leah i want to make sure people don't confuse it with damien eccles and his situation because laurie davis was an incredible person when i said before that you know, it wasn't just the films that got him out of prison. It's somebody like Laurie, which is a fascinating story. I mean, Paradise Lost was plan- was having Paradise Lost in 96 premiered at Sundance. Uh, so that, uh, yeah, so it was 96, right? And, you know, people were just obsessed with that film. The Q&As were like insane. Everyone stayed, you know, you know, it's a film that has, people's attentions when literally everyone stays for the Q&A. So it was that kind of a premiere at Sundance. And then the second set of screenings was uh, there used to be a festival. Maybe they still have it, but I can't remember. But it's called New Directors, New Films, which was a joint festival between uh, Museum of Modern Art and the Film Society of Lincoln Center jointly presented New Directors, New Films. And so Paradise Lost had a big screening at Alice Tully Hall Um for or maybe it was museum of modern art i forget but uh there was a big screening and at the end of the screening everybody stayed it was a packed house everybody stayed people follow follow us out because they don't want the q a to end and there was one woman who kept asking me questions and you know literally following me down to the you know people are falling back drifting away but this one woman continued walking with us and and i i did have to go so i said here's my number call me I'll, i can tell you more but i have to go and she followed up she called me it turns out to be this woman Lori davis who literally by watching the film just became so fixated with the injustice that was being presented on the screen that she started corresponding with damien um they fell in love she went down to visit him they she then gave up her life in New York, moved to Arkansas and became his biggest advocate and eventually got him out of prison along with, you know, obviously she was the most, she was, you know, a key person in getting him out of prison. The films obviously helped because the films catalyzed people like her. Um, and they're still together, married and out of prison. And, you know, so I, you know, I just wanted to make sure people weren't the reason I was, you know, saying what I said is I don't want her lumped into the people who like fall in love with criminals. And, you know, no, I was mainly thinking like Robert Durst, Ted Bundy, like, yeah, Yeah. that is inexplicable to me, you know, but you know, how is it that uh, people think that, you know, Biden lost the election? So, you know, people think think all sorts of wacky things in this world, you know, it's also weird that people who don't commit the crimes, will say that they are the murderer. Yeah. What is the logic behind that? That also has never made sense to me. Is that wanting fame? Yeah, people want attention, you know. 
I mean, we, we. Yeah, me too. I just post a bikini photo on Instagram like normal people. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I know. I like it. But then you always delete it afterwards because then you have like the shorts or something. <laughs> I'm like, that was a hot photo. Because then the guy it? finally texts me back and I feel comfortable <laughs> taking it down. But, you know, it's just a cry for help. You, Joe, I'm sure this is the most scattered interview you've ever had. We have a million questions for oh, you. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you know, I also thought it was interesting not to go back to um, the story in Oklahoma, but it's interesting that there were so many errors with you know, him on death row and you're saying that he's innocent. And you also said that there are no mistakes and everything happens for a reason. So it seems as if maybe it's like the universe is conspiring to help this man get off death row. Could be. I mean, look, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think in the arc of one's career or, you know, how you choose to look at things, you know, looking back now, I think, things in my life happen for a reason and I'm happy the way they unfold. Yeah. But certainly there's a ton of injustice out there that doesn't happen for, well, it does happen for a reason, you know, misguided policies, corrupt politicians, you know, um, but uh, Richard Glossop's situation is quite dire. So I, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who cares about justice should look into that, look into have, that case. Have you been following the Ghislaine Maxwell case at all? Uh, I have, you know, uh, uh, since you know we made a show about Jeffrey Epstein uh, for Netflix called Filthy Rich. Oh, uh, you did that show too. I was an executive producer on it. I wasn't the director. Joe did all of that. <laughs> he did can all of best, the. Can of we the be best ones. friends? Yeah. That's a um, weird question. What? <laughs> I felt like it was a fine question. Joe. Joe felt fine about it. Dimitri's jealous. That's all that's happening, <laughs> yeah, Joe. Just so you know. <laughs> So in your opinion, do you think there's going to be a mistrial with Ghislaine? Um, it's certainly troubling, but uh, I think they're just putting everything on the record for an appeal. I think it would be highly unusual for there to be a mistrial. I think it's in the realm of possibility, but I think it's low. I think they're just kind of, you know, they need to do this and, and posture for an appeal. Um, do I think it's, potentially reversible on appeal i think that's the bigger fear i don't think i i think the chance of a mistrial is low but i think the chance of reversal on appeal because of this and how it unfolded i think there is a there is a decent chance of that have you ever met her i have not no do you think she um cooperates and releases some names at some point um i hard to say you know hard to say i think if i think if that were you know i think if she was inclined to do that um it would have happened already yeah i don't think she's going to either i don't think so either i think she wants to survive so we'll see and you know joe i know we don't have that much more time with you so let's bring it back to crime scene which i'm still blown away by richard Cottingham talking about the fact that he had over 80 perfect murders. Yeah. He could be exaggerating, by the way. I mean, he definitely had more than he's been charged with. And there is an ongoing task force um, that is seeking to identify more victims. Um, You know, the 80 to 100 could be an exaggeration, you know, but Mm. it certainly is enough that it should be deeply disturbing that he was allowed to kill with impunity for so many years. Do you think that there's a part of him that wanted to get caught? 
You know, that is a good question. And with some, yes, you know, Dahmer's activities escalated and escalated and uh, he became sloppier and sloppier. And many experts believe that, you know, it was a cry for help, but Cottingham was so cold and calculating and had such a double life that I, I actually don't think he wanted to get caught. I mean, that's just pure speculation, but um, um, I don't think so. But often they do. I mean, it's so wild. Just just him walking around Times Square with women's severed heads and hands in bags saying that he's going to go grab a bite and the cops never stopping him. I mean, the amount... I, I, I can't even fathom what type of person you have to be to do anything close yeah. to that i mean it's boggling my mind just thinking about it yeah yeah and that bag thing you know i debated putting it in the show because it's so gruesome but mm. you know to me it's it was a symbol for the disregard and you know how easily he could have mm. been caught and also the the era you know police departments didn't communicate with each other forensic you know, pathology and evidence was not what it is today. Uh, DNA technology didn't exist. Um, and here you have serial killings right across the river in New Jersey and serial killings in New York and nobody's connecting the dots. And, you know, it was a very different era. It's why that particular period, you know, was so, you know, we, we perversely call it the golden age of serial killers because from like 1969 with Charles Manson to, you know, Dahmer, uh, who, who was convicted in the 90s, you know, there was, you know, that there was just a, a significant number of killers who just weren't caught and, and or took took too long a time uh, to be caught. Um, and in this particular case, there was such indifference by the police that, you know, like, you know, it's Times Square, like whatever, you know, which I just find so troubling. And I, I know we're out of time, but I have one last question. Have you ever come across a killer or a serial killer who didn't have a troubling childhood? Um, well, interestingly, uh, Cottingham claims that his childhood was normal, you know, mm -hmm. and he doesn't seem to have that much of a troubling childhood. Um, which is interesting, which is why I think he, you know, there are a lot of reasons why he is uniquely disturbing to me, but generally speaking, um, you know, Sam Little was his, his mother uh, tried to abort him. Right. You know? um, I mean, literally same, you know, get a grip, dude. You know, Casey's <laughs> father was brutal. I tried to put Cruz in the trunk. <laughs> I don't think he heard that part of the story. Yeah. We might out of context, that. out of context. <laughs> no, I mean, Dahmer, Dahmer's childhood was actually pretty good, except his parents fought a lot, but my parents fought a lot too. So um, he wasn't really abused. And, you know, Bundy claims that he had the perfect childhood, but, you know, people have said otherwise. But um, And Robert Durst had a really disturbing childhood. Yeah. So you don't think it's like a nature versus nurture? It's... It's just you, you are, or you aren't. I think so. Look, I mean, honestly, I had a rough childhood, you know, not to get too deep into it, especially since it's the last question. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, I have one more after this. Uh, <laughs> it's great though. Yeah. So go, so go for it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I had a tough childhood, you know, and, um, oh, my five thirty lights 
popped on. Sorry. <laughs> Your hair looks magnificent. It's glowing now. My lights are on a timer. Sorry. Um, but uh, look, I had a tough childhood and, you know, I've, I've looked into the dark side filmically to exercise my demons, you know, so I, I don't, you know, I don't think, I, I think you are born that way, you know, and, and certain, you know, environmental issues can trigger it. But um, I, I, look, I think bad parenting res- has all sorts of horrible consequences, you know, not, you know, not everyone becomes a serial killer, but bad parenting has horrible, horrible consequences for people. Um, but I don't think... I, I mean, I agree parent. with that. I turned into a comedian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's one of the worst things a parent can do to a kid. I, I agree. Especially, <laughs> you know. um, but um, I lost my train of thought. Cause Sorry, Joe. <laughs> and, this is, and this is exactly no, why. No, bad parenting. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, bad, you know, bad parenting does result in a lot of bad things, you know, um, that we spend our lives working our way through. But I don't think bad parenting produces a serial killer. I think that is just, you know, what, that is just some deeply inexplicable dark side of the human condition that I, I don't think you can blame on, on, on bad parenting skills, you know? I would think bad parenting can, can result to disregard for other people's feelings or consequences. But I think that's, a, I agree. There's a whole other leap to do something like that. And I, I think there's gotta be more to it than just. And there's, my parents know, honestly, and, and it's, you know, there's different reasons, you know, Dahmer, you know, he sought companionship. Like he, he just wanted to lay with people and have them not leave him. And that was his psychological profile for why he did what he did. Like he, you know, he, uh, you know, obviously what he did was brutal and I'm not defending it in any way, but you know, of all the serial killers, you know, he had, you know, these reasons that were born out of just a deep loneliness. Whereas somebody like Richard Cottingham, you know, was, wanted to enjoyed giving pain to people you know Dahmer would slip his victims a sleeping pill um and wait till they were totally asleep uh and unconscious before he you know killed them and did terrible things to them again it's, there's no justification for any of this behavior but different different serial killers have different motivations and Cottingham just enjoyed the pure torture and control of women um as did Bundy, you know, so different serial killers have different reasons for why they do what they do. So it's hard, it's hard to generalize, you know. And Cottingham gave women sedatives too, right? He did. Yes. Uh. But, but when they awakened, uh, they participated in the torture. Right. Oh God. Well, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, we didn't give away all the details. Trust me, you need to go watch it. It is, binge worthy it will happen whether you want to or not you won't be able to stop yourself that's what happened to me thank you mm-hmm. joe and <laughs> just another night glued to my television <laughs> yeah my husband but- gets home from work and i'm like <laughs> he's like you have problems i'm like it's work honey it's work it's a, it's a good thing it's only three episodes it's easy to binge i know I, so was, I was upset honestly i was like what do you mean yeah. it's over but also before we let you go i've got two just quick quick questions one is what do you really think happened at the cecil hotel to elisa lamb and why is it that she got lost in the elevator game <laughs> i can't with you 
we'll never get done with the Lisa Lamp. I think it was, as the show strongly suggests, yeah. I think it was just Mental a, sad, illness. a sad, tragic accident. Oh, God. I know that's, I know that's un, unsatisfying, but that's it's what not it is. as fun, Joe. Okay, but so so my she's last... like so I'm gonna ask something yeah. else that I can get right <laughs> just to get the answer I want. <laughs> no, okay, so Joe, before we wrap up with you for today, you know we've been so honored to have such a genius mind discuss true crime with us and many other aspects of life, and I'm personally very happy that you came on today. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Me too. I. I'm so glad you're here. I just wanted to see if you had any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to let people know, um, any project that you have coming out that you're excited about, anything that's next for you on the horizon, just anything at all. I would love for you to give us your final thoughts. Well, first of all, it's been uh, quite a thrill to be on the show. We've known each other for a long time, so it's really I'm really glad to do this. Me too. Thank you. Um, uh, I think you guys ask great questions, so I think I kind of said everything there is to say about uh, about the Cec- Cecil Hotel and particular. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm and um, you know, I generally don't talk about stuff that's coming up in part because the networks say you can't talk about it until. But luckily, the thing I'm about to start has already been announced, which is unusual that we've announced it. But I'm doing uh, the definitive Bernie Madoff story. <gasps> We gotta have you back on the podcast. <laughs> we're doing a you know a four part. Did the wife know? Did she know anything? You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> now, Joe, we need we insider info. <laughs> when you come back I to talk about that, we promise home. no Cecil Hotel. We're we're, <laughs> we're shooting it in a cool way, and I'm I'm very excited about it. So uh, that's uh, that I'm actually in prep now, and we start shooting in a couple of weeks. You need insider info. I know nothing, but I'll yeah. pretend. I mean, we need a group text, Joe. We need a group text. And is there anything that, um, you know, any other projects maybe that are not documentaries or anything else that you wanted to speak on? Well, I have a couple of scripted things. You know, I, 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 I enjoy finally being at a place where, you know, I can move between both worlds and occasionally do a scripted project uh, in between the documentaries. Although the documentary stuff is, you know, is where my heart is and, you know, uh, you know, so, um, but I got a scripted thing coming down the pike, but can't say what. Unfortunately. Everything's coming in hot for Joe. Oh, yeah. Oh, that super hot. I mean, Joe, you're super multi-talented. I'm excited to watch and support anything you create with that oh, brain of yours. Yeah. And Dimitri, Teddy, any final thoughts for Joe? No, we're just so grateful that you're here. You showed up for us and it gave us all the juice. And now I'm going to really wait with like, I need to know everything about Bernie Madoff. You have no idea. You have We're so no idea. We got lots of new info that hasn't been shared before, so it's going to be a good one. And, How and, Joe, and no and no serial killers. You know, I need a little break from the serial killer thing. A money mm. scandal is just as Oof. good to me as killing. So hot. <laughs> and so, what is wrong so with me? Also, do I have a problem? Yes. Like, why am I obsessed <laughs> with killers and money scandal? What does well, that mean about my I, I don't have a problem with your obsession. I have I a problem with Leo you know, always I saying it's I don't hot. know if you noticed, but true crime seems to be very popular these days. Why do you guys <laughs> think true crime is so popular? Because it's an escape from my own life. Because I've, I've, <laughs> I've been doing the same thing for 30 years, and now all of a sudden it's like, you know, very popular. So I'm just curious. And documentaries have never been more popular. Look, when I started in this business, you know, when we shot Brothers Keeper in 1990 is when we first started shooting it. 
uh, God, I was like 27 years old. I can't believe it. Um, 28, something like that. But um, if you didn't sell your documentary to PBS or HBO, you weren't making a documentary. There was no such thing as doc series. Uh, you know, we ended up self, even though it went to Sundance and won a prize, nobody wanted to distribute Brothers Keeper. So we ended up doing it ourselves. Like we had a handful of 35 millimeter release prints and went from theater to theater, you know, doing it ourselves. And, you know, if 400 people saw our movie on a weekend, Bruce Sanofsky and I would high five each other. Like, Oh my God, we died and went to heaven. 400 people saw our movie. And today something pops on Netflix and, you know, 20 million people see it in the first couple of weeks. It's like insane. I know, I know we have to go, but what project (laughs) are you most proud of? I would have to say, well, I guess I have to say Paradise Lost. I mean, all documentarians dream of having some kind of impact on their subjects um, to tangibly actually have participated in helping to get somebody out of prison, three people out of prison, one on death row. You know, that's that doesn't happen very often. So I feel great about that. And we were, you know, all the when we went down to make Paradise Lost, we thought we were making a, you know, a kids killing kids film. That's what HBO assigned us to do. All the press was these guys are are killers and so we went down expecting to be making a a kids killing kids film and all the press all the local press down there it's a very different world no internet whatever so local press actually was very important you know in in a market to influence people's opinion and the local press was utterly convinced of their guilt and helped feed and pollute the juror the jurors with that false narrative And we were the only ones who said, hey, something's not right here. You know, so I think I'm proud that we had we didn't, you know, I remember calling up HBO, the executive, Sheila Evans, who assigned the film to us um, because she just sent an article. Hey, these kids had just been arrested for these devil worshiping murders. Go look, go look into it. And so, you know, we had no reason to not think they were not guilty. There's no reason to think they weren't guilty. Um, And about two probably about two or three months into it, you know, I actually, I was interviewing Jason Baldwin, one of the West Memphis three, and I was looking at his tiny little wrists during the interview and he was declaring his innocence. And I was thinking about how small his wrists are and trying to imagine him holding a 10 inch serrated hunting knife, which is what the prosecution was alleging and that he had castrated this eight year old boy and done all these terrible knife wounds. And I just had this, epiphany that something's not right here. I don't think this guy is guilty. And I remember calling up the executive at at HBO, Sheila Evans, who's well known in our business, half expecting her to tell us to come home because I was telling her, no, this is not a kids killing kids film. I think they got the wrong people. And this is six months before the trial. Um, and I, 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 you know, I half expected her to cancel the film, you know, and she said, no, no, stick with it. Then that sounds more interesting. So I guess I'm proud of that film to answer your question, because with all the media hype and our mission to tell that same story, we, we had some clarity and realized these guys, you know, before the trial, uh, we thought these guys were probably innocent. So that was cool. Yeah. Joe, you're the coolest. I know. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And and right before you came on, I gave your CVS receipt long list of credits to everyone. So do your homework, people. Go on IMDb, hunt down Joe, watch all of his films. They're so impactful and special and important. And 
If you haven't already binge watched Crime Scene, The Times Square Killer, it's on Netflix right now. It's trending. We all already watched it. We all already loved it. And you heard us talk a little bit about it today, but you should watch it to get into the nitty gritty and find out all the details on the case. Joe, it has been an honor, a pleasure, a delight. Thank you so much for coming on to Real Time Crime today with us. Thank you for having me and happy to come back anytime. Well, be careful what you wish for. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to go watch everything else that I haven't seen on your resume. And hopefully by that time, the Bernie Madoff story is out. We love you, Joe. Thank you. Malia should have been my agent. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) And and where can people find you on the internet? Joe Berlinger Films, that's your Instagram? Yeah, I don't do Facebook. You never have. And now I'm glad. Um, But Instagram is Joe Berlinger Films or Twitter is just at Joe Berlinger. So now I'm going to slide into your DMs about all the murders. So just... (laughs) Ignore it if you don't want to hear from me. He's not going to do a story about your fanny pack missing. Oh, (laughs) God. That's a story for another day. Fine, fine. All right. Thank you so (laughs) much. Love you, Joe. Thank you. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, 
Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Wow. Okay, so not to brag, but this was my favorite episode of Real Time Crime so far, thanks to Joe Berlinger. Love him, even though he asked you for lunch and not me. I mean, sorry, Teddy, but... um... I think he was hoping she'd bring us. That's all it was. (laughs) I mean, obviously, he was like, "I if I go to lunch with Leah, I'm hoping... He's going to bring some she's going to bring sometimes and Teddy. That's well, he did hear that I had a troubled childhood. So he's interested to pick my brain and see if I'm the next <laughs> subject of his documentary. We all had troubled childhoods. Don't That's try to we're here. right now, <laughs> Leah. That's why we're obsessed. We have issues. I know. I know. OK, well, this has been an incredible episode of Real Time Crime. Sorry we didn't get to all the hot topics today, you guys. But I think we can all agree this episode worked out way better this way. God, I love talking to Joe. We could have interviewed him for like nine hours straight. This has been another episode of Real Time Crime. I've been Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp. I paused. Always. I Always. There's never not a pause. And sometimes, Dimitri. Sometimes. And guys, if you've got any sort of question, comment, concern, case you think we should look into or thoughts, give us a call. Leave us a voicemail at 866-21-CRIME. That's 866-212-7463. 866-21-CRIME. 866-21-CRIME. That's 866-212-7463. We promise we will actually get to one of the voicemails next episode. Okay, love you, you guys. Stay promises. safe out there. Bye. Bye. It's real time crime. It's real time crime. It's real. I mean, is it actually real time crime? Are we solving anything, or is that just a thing we say? It's a thing we say. Got it. Okay. See you next week for more real time crime, only on iHeartRadio. Become a part of the fast growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. 
Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels. And do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.